There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Hello, everybody. I'm Bill Roden, and you're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm coming to you. From the ESPN studio in Manhattan, New York. And I'm on the line with my new co-host, the new class of Rodent Fellows. Hey guys, uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Janae Adams from Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta, Georgia. Hi, I'm Zachary Bragg from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia. Hi, I'm Isaiah George. I'm from Morgan State University in Baltimore. I'm Tiffany Hoyd. I'm from Howard University in Washington, D.C. Hi, and I'm Tucker Tool from Morehouse College in Atlanta, Georgia. I can't tell you how great it is to have you all on board. Um, really excited for the new class and really excited to uh, get going. The only person we're missing is Alana uh, Barfield from Xavier, and we'll catch up with her at another time. Uh, normally, we're not going to have all the fellows on the show, but just for this first time out, we want to introduce everybody, uh, and we've got a great show planned for you today. Uh First up, we're going to learn a little more about each of the fellows and what's going on uh, at their schools. And we're also going to touch on Spike Lee's new film, Black Klansman, and what it means to millennials. Uh, but before we dive in, I'd like to make, I'd like each of you to make predictions about what do you think people are going to be talking about next week uh, when they listen to this podcast. Uh, Zach Bragg, what do you think? What do you think people are going to be talking about? Um, honestly, uh, the beginning of college football has started. So next week, the first game starts around the 30th uh, that weekend. So I think people with college football, me, most importantly, I'm looking forward to uh, Hampton starting off a uh, new conference, new year this year. So starting off around that weekend, the first college football, we're back at it. Okay. Isaiah, George, Morgan. Uh, so my prediction for next week, I believe that the Raiders and Khalil Mack will be the topic of conversation. I think he'll be either moved or he'll have one of the biggest defensive contracts uh, we've ever seen in the league. Hmm. Okay. Uh, Tiffany Hoy out at Howard. What do you think people are going to be talking about next week? Man, I'm looking forward to seeing this mission possible 2.0. Mike London will enter his second season at Howard and we have Kaylin Newton at star quarterback He'll be taking on Ohio, and we're gonna we're trying to see if we can do another UNLV and uh, run the board against a Mac a Mac Ohio University. They beat Kansas last year, and uh, they played Tennessee. They were very competitive against Tennessee, so we can be competitive and beat them. Who they beat Kent State, who we lost to last year. So that'll be a great runner up for Kent State the following week. Uh, Tucker Tool down in uh, Atlanta Morehouse. What do you think people are going to be talking about? Next week. Well, next week I think folks will be talking about the U.S. Open. Uh, we'll see. We'll be able to see if Sloane Stevens uh, will be able to defend her her title that she won last year. So I think that'll definitely be a topic of, of conversation. Mm-hmm. And finally, Janae, Janae Adams, uh, uh, across the street from Morehouse at, at, at Clark. What do you think people are going to be talking about uh, next week, Janae? I think people will be talking about Diana Taurasi and the Phoenix Mercury during the WNBA playoffs. I think that they will win their games and that they will shock everybody. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. This is probably one of the best uh, WNBA playoffs ever. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the new class of Roden Fellows has officially started. And like I said at the start of the program, I'm so excited and happy to be dealing with um, with each of you guys, uh, individually and collectively. But one of the, the topics uh, I'd like to explore on this podcast and at The Undefeated is, is what's happening at HBCUs and what attracted or repelled students from attending them. Now, I, I attended uh, Morgan decades ago uh, to play football and to get out of Chicago. Uh, Zach, let's start uh, with you. Uh, why'd you choose an HBCU and, and Hampton in particular? Uh, well, honestly, I chose an HBCU because uh, I went to a predominantly white uh, Catholic high school. So um, throughout four years, I went to two different ones. So it was just a good uh, way for me to, you know, just to get back into the culture, um, be around more people, you know, more African-Americans, um, you know, just to have more fun. Um, I found it was uh, HBCU is also a very small classroom, um, small classroom teacher student ratio. Um, and, you know, professors just, you know, they try to help the best. And so, you know, I felt uh, Hampton was the best school for me, even though I had opportunities to go to different schools, uh, play sports, other different places. I think this was the best uh, choice I've made for me since I came out of high school. It's I don't think anywhere is better. Hmm. Isaiah, you and I are, 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 are fellow Bears. What about you? Why did you uh, decide to go to Morgan at, at HBCU in general, Morgan in particular? Well, Morgan for me was the first uh, campus I ever stepped on. I took a trip to Morgan State University when I was in the eighth grade with a, uh, it was called an AVID class, basically like a uh, a college preparedness class, um, something that you usually take in high school, but my middle school happened to have it too. Um, and it was just, I remember being in the quad and it was around, I think like 150 or 1250. And I remember all the students just coming out and walking around the quad and me just looking around and I just kind of fell in love with the place. And I mean, I, I stayed in love with Morgan State all the way up through high school. And, uh, this was like my first choice. Uh, I decided to come here and I've enjoyed it ever since. I joined the band my, fr- uh, my freshman year, but I knew I wanted to do more stuff in communications and journalism. So I decided to focus more on that. And I've had so many opportunities, uh, while since I've been here. So I, I this, that's probably why the, the main choice I chose is like, this is the first college campus I ever stepped on and I loved it ever since. Oh, okay. All right. Hey, hey, Tiffany Hoyt, uh, you, you came all the way from California, right? Uh, to Howard, um, I did. Yeah, why, why, did. why an HBCU, and, and why? What drew you all the way across the country? Well, it's kind of like a funny story. I was looking at college options, and I knew I wanted to work in sports. And my dad knew the previous football coaching staff at Howard, and they had a need for a, a video intern. And I knew I wanted to come in and immediately start working in sports. And so I made that decision to come to Howard, and it's really worked out for me. And that's one of my biggest advocates for HBCUs, the amount of opportunity it provides for incoming students to get early on access to these these jobs. They pay people a lot of money to do at a lot of other schools. Mm-hmm. In particular, California, but there weren't a lot of HB. I mean, there's none that I know of. Uh how did no. you, yeah, how'd you hear about the whole world of HBCUs out out west? Well, uh, my dad, he's a member of uh, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. So he, we're, we're, you know, that's a major black fraternity. And so we're connected that way and knowing things that are happening in the culture. But my avid 
uh, teacher in middle school, she told me, Tiffany, you know, you'd be perfect for a Howard University. Like you would really do well there. Um, I became like the Black Student Union president in high school. And so I was well versed in the world of HBCUs, even though we're not close to them. We don't, it's kind of like they're far away. We know they're there, but we're not really, uh, like dialed into the culture aspect of it. So I actually didn't get that until I actually came to Howard. But as far as knowing about it, just because the settings I was in and my father, I was able to understand the importance of them. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Janae Adams, uh, you're at Clark. How you, you you've you've taken sort of a uh, circuitous route to come to Clark? But what what attracted you to the you know to HBCUs and then Clark in general, in particular? Um, when I first chose to go to college, it was for softball at Alabama A and M. And then I transferred to Clark. And I wanted to transfer to another HBCU, specifically Clark, because I heard of their mass media arts program and how great it was. And I just love the feel of an HBCU because I feel like you can't get that anywhere else, just how everybody is focused on bettering each other and just making sure everybody strives for excellence. We'll get back to that later, but do you, still, do you miss playing, not playing competitive softball? I miss it every day. It's a hard transition not playing softball, but I know that sports journalism is what I want to do for the long run, so I felt like it was necessary to transfer in, just mm-hmm. focus on journalism as a whole more. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tucker, Tucker, too, you're, uh, you're uh, Janae's neighbor over uh, here at Morehouse. What, what attracted you to the uh, world of HBCUs, and particularly Morehouse? Well... My family has a big background of, you know, going to HBCUs. Most of my family, including my mother and father, and most of my aunts and uncles went to HBCUs. But I knew Morehouse in itself was a prestigious school, um, not only from the, the names of the, the different alums that have come from, you know, Martin Luther King and Spike Lee, and, and the, the list goes on. I just, I just knew that Morehouse and its network was, was very prestigious. Mm-hmm. There have been so many, so much said about you know HBCUs ever since I went to one. What what's the the biggest in your mind? What's the, one of the biggest misconceptions? You know, as most of you know, the majority of young black students are not going to PWIs, though the highest concentration of black students is at HBCUs. What what's the biggest uh, myth or misconception? Do you think uh, uh, about HBCUs? I feel like the biggest mix, uh, misconception is that when you go to an HBCU that you are in a uh, a bubble, so to speak. And uh, I, I, the reason why I don't think that's true is because at the end of the day, you still are in the real world. Yes, you have classes that you're on your campus where there are uh, majority black people, but uh, you still have to go to work. If you, if you do have a job, you still have to go off campus and interact with other races or just be in different situations. So I, I think that the fact that people say that um, people that go to HBCUs are in a bubble and that they're going to have like a culture shock once they get out, I feel like that's a uh, misconstrued because that's not the case at all. Oh, I agree with that. I believe that uh, yeah, most some of most people's biggest misconceptions that all we do is party and we're we're not going to be ready to interact with other races when we get out in the world and and I think that's just a problem because we do go there. We're actually. Um, some of the smartest people. We're very well rounded and HBCUs get us prepared for not just, you know, the workforce, but life in general. And, uh, yeah. But the parties are pretty good though. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, yeah. The, party, the parties are pretty good. I mean, depending on where you go. I would. Uh-oh. I would agree and say that one of the biggest misconceptions is that people say HBCU students aren't prepared for the real world. And I just think that's false because you know, even though you're at a school with, you know, majority black students, you still have different people who have come from many different backgrounds. And speaking for Morehouse, just diverse and it's all right from, you know, the, the type of students we get. We get students from each and every background. And so that I think that, that that's an attest to, you know, the diversity within its own right. Hi, this is Tiffany. Uh, sorry, uh, just to jump in there and add on to that, I think a big misconception, too, with HBCUs is like this fact that there's something that's holding you back if you attend an HBCU. Uh, in my experience, everything I've received at my HBCU has propelled me, whether it's career, friendship-wise, life experience-wise, uh, just being able to handle and juggle several different things. My, my HBCU has prepared me for everything that life will ever present me in the corporate world. So that's the biggest thing I see about HBCUs. Like there's nothing that's going to hold you back attending one of these universities. This is Janae from Clark, Atlanta. I think the biggest misconception is that people try and clump every HBCU in the same category. So I went to two different HBCUs, and my first one, I loved it there, but I just it wasn't strong in my major. But had I wanted to be like an engineer, it would be perfect. And I think that some people just feel like, for, like they only know five HBCUs. You only know the ones that everybody hears about, like Morehouse, Hampton, but they don't look into any other HBCU, so they kind of just look at it through one narrow perspective versus trying to see what every school has to offer because people feel like PWIs are better because, you know, there's a lot more majors when that's not necessarily true. Like, every HBCU specializes in certain subjects just like any other school. Yeah. Let me ask you a question. This is more of a sports question. Do you do you guys think you know again back when I was at Morgan, sort of in the dark ages, but this was like the '60s, late '60s. You you had a lot of great black athletes going to uh, P, uh, HBCUs, you know, uh, particularly the football programs. Do you think that that day is gone? I mean, do you ever think we'll see a day uh, at HBCUs where you'll have kids get disillusioned and go back to HBCUs, or do you you think that uh, that that horse has left the barn and and, and we're never going to get back to there? Uh, what, what what do you think? I um, this is Isaiah from uh, Morgan State. I think there's a chance to get back to that, really, because I truly think there takes only it takes just one athlete to to make that decision to say, okay, I want to go to this school, and you know, it may be a Tennessee State, who's you know the only uh, well, excuse me, um, now that there's Hampton involved, who's not in the uh, HBCU conference, it may be a kid that wants to go to Hampton or a kid that wants to go to Tennessee State. Uh, a kid that had his offers pulled from something and he and he gets uh, some love from an HBCU or something like that. But it, it just takes one top-ranked kid to go to an HBCU to start get the attention again and have athletes do that. Um, I don't think the day is gone because like we've seen uh, just this year with Hampton moving to the Big South, HBCUs are trying to transform with the day and age of college athletics uh, with everything that they do. So... I think there's a chance for that for us to get back to that. It's like I said, it's just going to take that one big time athlete or that one five star recruit to say that he's going to an HBCU, and and possibly that starts the trend back up. This is Zach from Hampton. I honestly believe there's a chance. I believe there's a small chance, but 
Um, I, I just don't think that it's going to happen. I think not in the major sports, at least not with the least like, you know, the five star, four star kids. Um, I think with other sports, uh, HBCU sports are still alive and well, um, uh, specifically like, you know, track, um, you know, yeah, track, track mainly because, you know, there's been a lot of HBCU stars that, you know, made Olympic teams such as Francina McCory from, uh, Hampton University. But I honestly think it will take an HBCU to get into a major conference or to upgrade our facilities for us to ever have a chance of ever getting a five star, four star. And I know Hampton made it to the Big South, but I just don't believe we'll ever get a chance. Mm-hmm. No, you're fine. I just wanted to say I agree with Zach wholeheartedly, except for the fact, like, I think that we can do it, but he's absolutely right. We need to join one of those bigger divisions, those bigger leagues in order to get back there. And then we have to normalize the everyday black student attending HBCUs before we can get to the athletes. What do you mean? Explain that. Well, I I mean that like we can't have that conversation. Oh, like if you're going to if you go to HBCU, you'll be in a an environment that's not normal to regular environments or you're going to be hindered in some type of way if you attend HBCU. If we get back to black students graduating high school and attending HBCUs on a regular basis in a California or in a Colorado or in a Tennessee, we get back to that point, then we get the athlete. I was just going to say from an athlete's perspective, I don't think it would happen for a couple reasons. One, if you're a five-star recruit, like HBCUs, the problem with the athletic facilities is that the band is more important than the team in a lot of cases. I agree. I so agree. If you're a five-star recruit for or just any sport, really, and if you're like really highly sought after, if the band's more important and people aren't really caring about football, you're going, but mainly to see the band, <laughs> you are you still have resources. Like, you still get gear and whatnot, but it's not. You Like, if you look at another school, like a big PWI, you're going to want, you know, the nice gear. You're going to want the better facilities because all that plays yeah. a factor that you play on the field. For example, softball, okay. we didn't have our own batting cages. We had to go somewhere else to go hit. But that affects how you play on the field because you can't just go hit whenever you want. So little things like that all play the factor in why I feel like it would be hard to get big recruits to come to HBCU willingly. Yes, um, I know here at Hampton, the sports teams are definitely a major, definitely over the bands. Um, The bands are still trying to search to get people, but... I also agree with the point that not everybody shows up just for the games. I know here most people uh, attendance is a problem. Most people are really showing up to be seen. But if when it comes time to homecoming, the whole stadium's filled. But you catch them on a week four Saturday against Kentucky State, nobody's in the stand. Right now we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we'll be discussing Spike Lee's new joint, Black Klansman. So stay tuned. Uh, I just saw Black Klansman. In fact, I saw it uh, with my brother who was visiting from Germany where he's been an opera singer over there for the past 25 years and interesting to see it with him. Uh, I just saw it and uh, my immediate thought as I was watching was, you know what, I need to talk about this with the fellows. Now, if you're not familiar, 
This is Spike Lee's latest film, and it tells the story of Ron Stallworth, the first black officer to work with the Colorado Springs Police Department. Now, in the movie, Stallworth is played by John David Washington, who, by the way, is Denzel Washington's son, and he launches a covert investigation into the Ku Klux Klan. Now, we should also note that Black Klansman is also an adaptation of the real Ron Stallworth's memoir about the whole operation. Now, if you haven't seen the film, let me warn you that there are going to be some spoilers during our conversation. Uh, having said that, let's right, dive right into a discussion. Uh, Tucker, you, you saw the film. What, what do you think about it? I thought it was a great movie. I was happy to see my, my Morehouse brother, J.D. Washington, doing his thing. But I think that, that overall, it was a message to the young people of today, you know, in the climate of everything that's going on, the political climate. And at the end of the movie, Spike Lee went back and showed footage from the Charlottesville um, riots and everything. And I thought that was probably one of the most important points of the movie um, besides the actual story of the movie because he released it about a, a year after those, the riots took place. Yeah, I thought, you know, once again, you know, Spike always has a knack of capturing the moment that we're in. And the film was almost perfect in, in, in that respect in terms of sort of galvanizing uh, the moment. You know, I thought, you know, I don't know how, I know a number of you on the line have read reviews and all that, and I'd like to get your, your sense. You know, I, I guess it's, we're in such a polarizing time, and I think that the film did a, a great job of capturing uh, the polarization that we're in. Uh, I think that if, you know, if you like POTUS 45, then you probably are going to be offended and feel this is yet another attack. If you don't like POTUS 45, and those numbers are clearly growing, you'll probably say, hey, right on. You know, yeah, get him. I don't know if it did anything to heal. Was there any, talk? you said, was there any, any message for healing? Or do you think it was basically just, hey, we're polarized and this is why? Well, I, I, as I referred to, you know, the, the end when, when Spike put in the part about Charlottesville, I think that was, you know, kind of a, a message of hope in some respects, because there weren't only black people out there, you know, fighting during during those riots. And he was trying to show that, you know, he thinks, you know, the youth is, is coming together and realizing, you know, that we, we shouldn't live in this, this hateful place. So I, I think he gave a sense of hope towards, towards the end of the movie. Uh, we've been joined by our wonderful producer, Aaron Matthewson, a Howard grad, by the way. She also saw the uh, uh, Black Klan's Man couple weeks ago, Aaron, what did you think? Um, you know, I'm going to start by saying, uh -oh. I, even though the storyline is, is very unique, and, you know, I've never heard of someone infiltrating the KKK before, I only went because I kept hearing that this was Spike's best film. And I really just think it was a linear story. I don't think it was, I don't think it was better than Do the Right Thing, but I think it was just linear and I guess people like that. I get it. Um, I don't know if it's because I went to an HBCU, but some of the content, it kind of felt like a class I've already taken. Like when Kwame Ture came on and he's talking to the, the, um, the Black Student Union. And don't get me wrong, I think I'm glad that was highlighted because, you know, when was the last time you saw Kwame Ture 
in a mainstream film. But I know, like, my brother, for instance, went to Arizona State University, and he lives in Arizona, and he was saying people, it was just totally silent after the film. And I keep hearing that there are more white people or more non-black people seeing black Klansmen than black people going to see the film. Well, I think that people were kind of hesitant after the Chirac film. And then there's also that discussion on, do we still want to see films like this? Films that, do we want to see more of the girls' trip films? Or do we want to see more of the films that are about the oppression of states that black people are in? Uh, I know that after Birth of a Nation, I was like, I know I needed a break because that one was tough. I literally, like, I cried after Birth of a Nation. Mm. So going to see another one was going to be like, tough on me. I, I know we all want to see the Black Panther and we want to see the girls trip. Do we still continue to go to see these type of films? This is Zach from Hampton. Um, I agree with both Tiffany and Aaron. I, I feel like what t- Aaron said, which was seems, uh, seems like it's another class and what uh, Tiffany said was just like, uh, do we need to see another one of these? I honestly agree because it's like although it's like a great storyline it is in the past and it's like I'd rather see stuff about how we're moving on to, you know, the country's moving on and how we're doing something to better us instead of just seeing the stuff that happened in the past. Cause it's like, yeah, other races or white people are going to see it, but it's like, what can they do about it? Um, this is Isaiah from, uh, Morgan State. I just wanted to say I, I didn't have a chance to see the movie, but just from what I've read about it and, and heard about it, I think this was actually probably a, a good time for it. Um, we just passed the, anniversary of the charlottesville rally or whatever and and the things that have happened beyond that and the alt-right movement and i think this movie kind of even though yes it's an old story i think this was the right time for it to you know show people that this isn't the things that we've seen in the past year or so especially in in miss president trump's uh presidency i it's not anything new um so i think that this was actually a good time for it just from what i've seen from it Hi, this is Tiffany. Just to add to what Isaiah was saying, like, yeah, we did have the Unite the Right to protest. But one thing that the D.C. City Council said is um, they actually they they uh, they said that they might not unite the right, but they uh, dang sure united the rest of us. Um, like there is this conversation of this is a time and period and juncture in our lives that we need to have films like this. But it's also a period of time where we have shows like Grownish and Blackish. And we have all these shows where like we can step outside of the boxes they put us in over time and really take advantage of our opportunities. And do we take advantage of those opportunities with continued stories like this? Or do we create new stories? What do you guys think about Zach's point is that, hey, listen, this was in the past. You know, we you know that we saw it. Yeah, it's an interesting story. But what about the future and and how black people? And I'm like thinking, well, what story is what story is that? Black Panther? I mean, that wasn't real. Well, this is Isaiah, and I I think nothing has been made for us in this point right now when it comes to film uh, or TV, other than maybe documentaries. Uh, there hasn't been anything made such as that. And I think what I was uh, something I brought up last time was like the the alt right movement. Uh, that would probably be the closest thing to it if any film or uh, TV show was ever made to depict something like this. Um, that would probably be the subject of it. But I just feel as if, such as now, there hasn't been anything put out like that. This is Tucker. Um, I think that black people should be putting more of a positive narrative. But 
at the same time, I think people still need to realize, you know, what happened in history. And for the people that didn't know, like I didn't, I didn't realize this was based off of a true story until I actually saw the movie. You know, for your grandparents, they look at this film and they lived this, right? I mean, they they knew this. They didn't have to see things. They they all lived through this. For your generation, you know, if somebody told you, you may have thought that people made this up or that this didn't really happen or this didn't really exist. Isn't, it, isn't that the point of history to sort of remind you, uh, either remind you or introduce something new? So I guess, Zach or, or, or Tiffany, if that's the point, did this film serve that purpose? Hi, this is Tiffany. Um, I will say I didn't I read reviews on the film. I haven't seen the film yet. I do plan on seeing it. But because I've seen a lot of the films dealing with um, civil rights in our black in the black community done by black directors. But I will say that that film Birth of a Nation was one of like the truest to it, like from every scene was real it was real it was heavy hitting it was hard to watch and that didn't get the justice it was due in the box office so the real films i feel like that are really telling the story that are not the pg-13s they're not necessarily getting their just due so we might as well push forward in making it to where we can we can change the narrative altogether while we'll still have those remnants of the past, because that's never going to leave us. We're always going to be fighting for our rights. But if we can change the way young black boys and girls look at themselves in popular culture and media, then we change us for like the better and kind of achieve the things that we set out to achieve with these movements. Mm-hmm. If, if you, I'm just curious, if you had to choose between this film and Black Panther, which would you choose? This is Janae. I would choose Black Panther because that's just—it's just a personal preference. I like Marvel films. Black <laughs> Panther was very creative. I'm from Oakland, so they used Oakland. So <laughs> just more of a connection with Black Panther. Hi, this is Isaiah. I would choose Black Klansman or Black's Klansman uh, because it's real this is a real story like this actually happened and and something that i kind of had a problem with with black panther is that when it was promoted uh or at least when i saw when it first started being promoted it, it wasn't being pushed so much as an afrocentric thing and it it blew up whether that was designed or not it blew up into this whole thing and as if it was uh, a movie t- to empower us and it was a superhero um a, a fictional character uh, i mean a fake character and with Black's Klan, with Black Klansmen, it, it's an actual story, something that actually happened. Someone that was trying to take down an organization that was oppressing others. So I, I would probably choose Black Klansmen over um, Black Panther. I'm glad that we don't have to choose. Like I, I'm, I'm glad that there are both because it's ni- it's so nice to see this breadth of the black experience. Like there is Marvel, and then there is. I was so happy to see Harry Belafonte. Yeah. on screen I, I didn't know about the Jesse the Jesse Washington story I mean and I've never heard of Ron Stallworth like I was, even though it's not as entertaining like I personally like to be entertained but it was I'm so glad I was able to see it and I heard about the story yeah I mean you, you know you raise a great point I said of course I'm arguing against myself I said well would you like to see Black Klansman or Black Panther but I think your point is right you know and, and I think we get you don't have to you know, black the, the scope of blackness is so vast. You know, there could be black Klansmen, there could be Black Panther. 
They can, you know, in other words, there's a whole spectrum that, you know, some of us go to HBCUs, some of us go to PWIs. I don't think we have to have these choices. We, you know, we, we're a, a kaleidoscope. This is Janae. I think that it's good to have, like, variety and everything. Like, it's just all about balance. Like, there was a point when there was, like, a bunch of slave movies coming out, like, back to back. And I thought that was, like, an overload. There was yeah. no need for that, I feel like. Like, I like how we have, you can have Black Panther, you can have Black Klansman, you can have shows like Insecure that explore, you know, the life of black individuals, just a variety of black culture in different aspects. And one of the things I like to explore as we go on on these podcasts and as we work together, as you guys work together as Roden Fellows and, and you get to know each other and work together, one of the questions I'd like you guys to answer, given your generation, all that, is what unites us? In, in 2018, 2019, as, as a people, you know, I mean, we're different now than we were in 1979, than in 1969, 1949, 1919. But my question is, in 2018, what unites us now as a group of African-American people living in the United States? So, you know, scroll that down, and we will be exploring those things as we go on. But for now... My producer over here is telling us we got to go, not just because it's Friday, <laughs> but, but and people got parties to go to. We're HBCUs, right? We got to go party tonight. But um, <laughs> no, but anyway, but we're going to talk more about the film, and hopefully we're going to have. Oh, by the way, what'd y'all think about uh, David Washington's uh, acting? What'd y'all think about his acting? Uh, well, Tucker, you saw it. Um, what, what'd you think? And what did you yeah, think? Yeah, I, I thought I thought he did a did a, a good job, and I know that he was previously on the show Ballers, so he yeah on HBO, so he had to play a different role, and I thought I thought he handled that job well. I thought I thought he he played his role how he was supposed to in uh, Black Clansman. If you've seen Ballers, he's definitely. He played that role well. Uh, he's talked about how his father has given him some tips and how his mother is making him well rounded. So it, for like a fan of Ballers. It's not really a shock. Hmm. Oh man, I mean, yeah, I had to I, say, I, it. I thought he was, I thought he was only okay, but I couldn't tell if I just thought his care, it was his character that I thought was corny, or if I thought he was actually corny. But I've not seen him <laughs> on Ballers, so and corny, and I, I did. I wow. thought he was corny, um, but I, I'm, yeah. I hope he comes on <laughs> the show. <laughs> well, look, well, you killed any chance of that. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck to get him on after that. Thanks, Aaron. But John Day Washington, you should come on and and talk to me about this. Anybody got any connections with us? I mean, you know, maybe Tucker, may, can you kind of clean this mess up? I don't know. After, after that comment, uh, it might be a little. I thought he did a great job. <laughs> <laughs> Think you should get an Oscar. We thought you were terrific. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, yeah we we need we. Tucker, we need you to clean it up. She just, she's just a morehouse man calling corny. I mean, you know, Hampton guy was... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, anyway, we, maybe we ought to switch segments get out of here before we, before we get any guests yeah, on in the coming year. Yeah. Yeah, before we get out. Hey, but listen, that, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks, Aaron. Uh, but uh, if there's anything else you'd like us to cover, talking to our audience now, if there's anything else you'd like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated hashtag Rodenfellows. And you could also contact us directly. I'm at WC Roden. I'm on Instagram and Twitter 
at Janae and Adams. J-A-N-A-E-N-A-D-A-M-S. I'm at Ray Zach uh, on Twitter, uh, Ray R-E-Y, capital Z-A-C-H, underscore. I'm at underscore, underscore, man of the hour. I'm at T-T, a legend. And you can catch me on Instagram at TuckT52. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, the show is produced by the wonderful Aaron Matthewson. A special thanks to Tarika Foster Brasby and Kyrie Williams. Get all the HBCU 468 podcasts, as well as The Plug, The Right Time with Bamani Jones, and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast, and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone. <laughs>